Our story began this morning with a question to Jesus from his disciples. Rabbi, tell us, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, this question from the disciples is what drives the rest of the narrative. In fact, it drives the whole of chapter 9. I just read to you 12 verses, but the entirety of the ninth chapter is basically a response to this question, who sinned? And the question reveals that the disciples, at least at some level, believed the conventional wisdom of their day. That if you were sick, or if you were poor, or if you were somehow physically impaired, you must have done something to deserve it. Or at the very least, if it was some sort of congenital problem, your parents did something to deserve it. Now, I have found that this is a perennial question, not just one of the disciples, but one that gets asked today. Why do bad things happen? And what is the cause? Is it some sort of personal failure? Some sin? Or does God simply choose to pick on somebody for no good reason? And so, when the disciples pass by, this blind beggar on the street, they ask Jesus to explain, why did this bad thing happen? And more importantly, who is at fault? And so that's the question that drives this chapter. Who is at fault? And it's an important question, which I will address shortly, but I first want to confess my own inadequacy on this particular subject. Now, lots of preachers will offer eloquent sermons and explanations about this miracle, but very few of us preachers know what it is like to be blind. And so I have a friend this morning that I've come to know that I want you to meet. Many of you have already met her. But I want you to hear her story and get her sense of faith in Jesus, her love for the Lord. And I just want you to get a chance to meet her. And so I'm going to invite Heather to come up, and we're going to have a little conversation about her, with her rather, so that you get to know her and her experience. Hey, Heather. Hi. I've got a microphone here for you. Let me turn it on. There we go. All right. Uh, everybody, this is Heather Rasmussen. Heather, this is the congregation. Hello, people. <laughs> and uh, first, I want to ask Heather um, to uh, let me know where you're from and what do you do? Uh, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, there we go. Yeah. Wow, this feels really strange. Don't think I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, well, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, actually a little town um, a bit outside of Nashville. I grew up on a goat farm. People seem to think that's interesting. Um, yeah, I've lived a bunch of different places, D.C., Denver, Colorado. Um, yeah, and I'm a teacher, actually. 
Um, I teach assistive technology to mostly to people who recently lost their vision, mostly adults. Um, in the summertime, we teach teenagers, and that's a lot different. But um, for the most part, I work with adults and teach them how to use computers. Wonderful. Um, now, uh, tell us, did you grow up Christian? Did you grow up in the church? Um, that's a complicated question to answer. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in the church, yes. I don't think I really internalized the gospel as a kid. Um, that would have been actually my junior year of college. Uh, but yeah, I did grow up in the church. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, tell us, Heather, um, uh, how long have you been blind? I've been blind, um, I was about a year and a half old, between a year and a half and two when I went blind. I had a brain injury and it severed my optic nerves. Um, so yeah, I'm 26 now, so almost 24 years, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and uh, I, you've told me, but um, just so that everyone knows, so do you have any memory of ever having sight? No, not at all. Yeah. Um, so a question that I had, um, and uh, I loved your answer to it, so uh, uh, Heather and I talked about these questions beforehand, so uh, I love this answer <laughs> um, because it's, a, it's an honest answer that I needed to hear, um, and that is, um, how would you describe what it's like to be blind? So um, this answer isn't meant to be snarky at all. Um, for y'all people I haven't talked to about this yet, I can't really answer that question. Um, it's kind of like saying, what does it feel like to be human? I don't know, I've always been human. What does it feel like to be female? I've always been female. Um, so asking me what it's like to be blind, I it's just life the way it is. It's always mm -hmm. been that way in my memory. Um, maybe someone who's gone blind later in life could sort of answer that, but yeah, that's really all I can say. It just kind of is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, and I tell you, Heather, that was very helpful for me to understand because, um, you know, I would have a hard time explaining what it's like to be human, <laughs> you know, having no other frame of reference. Right. This is who I am, and this is how I live my life. And so I was very grateful for that. Um, what would you say are um, some of the biggest challenges in your life? Um, so transportation, for sure. Um, that's one thing I really don't like about Jackson is there's no, I mean, there's public transportation, but not really. Um, it was a lot easier to get around as a blind person when I lived in DC. Um, transportation, there is what's called paratransit here in Jackson, which is like a special little bus that takes people with disabilities places, but it's only kind of semi-reliable. Mm -hmm. And so I have to schedule that ahead of time and hope it shows up on time and sometimes it doesn't. and. Um, or I have to ask friends or acquaintances to give me a ride somewhere or take Uber, which is expensive. So that's one of the challenges I have. Um, I, think, I think probably besides that, and maybe even more important than that, is I have to deal with the assumptions that people make about me um, as a blind person, as a person with a disability. Because, and, and I know it's, it's based mostly on ignorance and that's not people's fault, but I would much prefer people just ask rather than assume, because a lot of times when they assume they're wrong, um, which again is not their fault at all, but yeah, the assumptions people make of what I can and can't do, or what I would and wouldn't like, or what I do and don't know, um, not applies to anyone with a disability. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so following up on that, what are the blessings of your life? In general? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so many. So I guess, obviously, my family. I had very, very good parents. Um, I still have a very good dad. My mom passed away a couple of years ago, but they were they're the reason I grew up to be independent and self-sufficient like I am. Um, mm -hmm. I have three wonderful sisters who are amazing. Um, I have a lot of, I, I have, well, I guess not, I've had some very, very good friends in my life and I still do have some very good, very close, very meaningful friendships that have been a huge blessing to me. Um, my rats, I have two pet rats, they're amazing. <laughs> a couple of you met them. <laughs> Um, they're very cute and very loving, and I love animals. Um, and I've just recently been able to have animals back in my life, so that actually is a huge blessing to me. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, there was something else I was going to say. Um, oh, I can't remember it. That's really sad. <laughs> well, there's something else that I was going to say that's a huge blessing in my life. Um, yeah. yeah, the end. Well, good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Braille. That's what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so, so say, say more about Braille. Oh, um, <laughs> well, there was this guy who was born in 1809 who, okay. <laughs> A little less about Braille. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> you should look him up. Uh, um, yeah, so um, not all blind people can read Braille, and a lot of people who go blind older don't want to learn Braille. That's something that I struggle with at work, mm -hmm. is trying to convince people of that. Even though that's not technically my job, I kind of do it on the side to hey, learn Braille, it's great. <laughs> um, it's just good to be able to read things for myself. I usually read the Bible in Braille. Um, I do read a lot of books, audio books, but the Bible I like to read in Braille because it's easier for me to concentrate and meditate on it as opposed to like, you know, if I'm reading something light, like fiction, I just finished Treasure Island a few days ago. Um, I don't need to really concentrate on that because it's <laughs> just for fun. But that, and I read National Geographic, and um, restroom signs, for the most part nowadays, are in Braille, and elevator buttons are in Braille. Um, writing notes to myself, writing birthday cards. My roommate actually knows Braille, too, even though she's sighted, so we write notes to each other. Yeah. Yeah, so Braille is great. Wonderful. Um, <clears throat> well, my last question um, is just a fancy way of asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, uh, but I ask that of anybody of any age. Um, and so the, the way that I ask it, though, is what are your hopes for your own future? Um, pay off my student loans? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm a writer as well as a teacher. Actually, my degree is in creative writing, um, and I... I became a Christian because I read a fiction novel. Um, I guess all novels are fiction. <laughs> Anyways, um, and so I, I want to, like my, my ultimate dream is to be a full-time writer, which will take 20 or 30 years to get there, and I realize that, so that's why I have a day job. I happen to like my day job, but it's not like my main calling, actually. Um, so I would like to write fiction and enlighten the world with my fiction. Um, other than that, Meet a guy, eventually get married, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> get a house with a yard, get a dog. I love dogs. Um, yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, Heather, thanks for sharing with us about yourself and getting a chance for us to know you and know you better. And we'll look forward to, to reading your novel one day. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, thanks. And uh, thanks, Amanda, for...
I'm grateful for uh, Heather and her her witness and uh, sharing her faith and her uh, life with us. Because if if we get nothing else from this scripture passage this morning, I hope that you notice that Jesus took notice of this man who was born blind. As Heather mentioned, many people make assumptions about what is possible and what someone can or cannot do, and oftentimes we make those judgments in a split second. And Jesus and the disciples could have simply walked by this man and ignored him. But they stopped, they took notice, and because of that, we have this amazing story. But we're still not past that first question, are we? That first question the disciples ask, Jesus, tell us, who's to blame for this man's condition? Who's at fault? Now, Most of our translations read something like this, that Jesus says, well, neither the man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. His parents nor the man sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Now, the thing is that Jesus seems to be suggesting here that God caused his blindness so that one day Jesus could walk by and heal him. Now, I don't like that answer. First off, it doesn't sound like a God that I would care to worship. A God who goes around choosing some people to be somehow hurt or disadvantaged. The second thing I don't like about the answer is that Jesus didn't really say it. Did I get your attention there? You see, Jesus says something here in the gospel that is recorded, but the problem is we've got to translate it from the Greek into the English. And punctuation matters a great deal in translation. Have you ever heard the old grammar joke? Now, you may not have grown up with people who told grammar jokes, So you may not have heard this one, but there's a joke about the difference between these two sentences. First sentence, let's eat grandma, or let's eat, comma, grandma. (laughs) You see, you may think that punctuation doesn't matter all that much, but to grandma, it matters a great deal. See, understanding Jesus' answer to that important question depends on how you punctuate this sentence. And here's the fun part. Are you ready? Ancient Greek doesn't have punctuation. If you read the Greek in its original writing, you have to make a choice of where to put periods and commas, where to capitalize, and where to leave lowercase. Where does a sentence begin and where does it end? What about this clause? Is it dependent? Is it independent? Is it a whole other thought? You see, translators are not just making decisions of what English word means the same thing, but how to put the whole sentence together. So pray for our translators. 
And sometimes they make good choices, sometimes they make poor choices, and oftentimes in verse 3, they just get it wrong. You see, if you simply translate the Greek sentence word for word in verse 3, this is what Jesus said that day. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but in order that the works of God might be manifest in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. Now the difference may seem insignificant, but to the man born blind it must have meant the world. Because it's the difference between hearing this from Jesus. You didn't sin, but God made you blind so that I could show off. Or, you didn't sin, but because God sent me, I can do a powerful work in your life. See the difference? And this is precisely what Jesus proceeds to do in the rest of the chapter. He does a powerful work, not just in the man's life, but more importantly, he does a powerful work in the life of that man's village. You see, after he restores his sight, the man comes back to his neighbors, who then debate whether or not this was the same guy as before. You see, most of them apparently had never looked at him long enough to really get a good idea of what he looked like. And so when the guy comes back and all of a sudden can see, there's a debate. Is that the same guy? You know, I really never looked at him before. I mean, he's been there every day asking for help, but... I just kept on walking by. Perhaps they pretended not to see him, and now they pretend not to even know him. This man who's lived in their town his entire life. The villagers then decide to take him to the Pharisees. Always a bad decision. The Pharisees, upon witnessing this miracle, instead of rejoicing, they point out that it's the Sabbath. It is illegal to do any work, and healing is a work. The man comes and says there has been a miracle, and all the Pharisees can do is point out that a law has been broken. Well, then they take him to his parents to verify that this was indeed the man, and that indeed he had been blind since birth. And the parents don't want any part of the conversation. They refuse to answer any of the questions about their son. Of course, we have to then realize that this man who had been a beggar his entire life actually had a family, actually had parents, and yet had somehow been cast aside. They hadn't taken care of him and instead had washed their hands and thrown him away. And then finally, at the end of chapter 9, they take him back to the Pharisees one last time. Now you have to know that because of his blindness and the assumption that it was a result somehow of someone's sin, this blind man had been previously unable to attend synagogue worship unable to hear the Torah, 
unable to join in the prayers, unable to be a full member of the community. But now he's been healed. His sight has been restored. Therefore, his sins, whatever they were, must have been forgiven. And the Pharisees would have been those self-appointed, mind you, who would have admitted him back to synagogue worship. And so the Pharisees, before they make their decision, ask him to tell his story one more time. And when he begun, begins to say that Jesus had healed him, they interrupt him. And they say, don't talk about Jesus. We don't know where he comes from. To which the man born blind responds, you know where he comes from. He healed me. He comes from God. And upon hearing that, the Pharisees banish the blind man forever. They cast him out of the synagogue. You see, the original question that the disciples asked that day reveal not only what they perhaps thought, but what the rest of that village, including the religious leaders of the village, thought of the blind man. They thought he was a sinner. And coupled with what we learn about him in the rest of chapter 9, we get a picture of this man's life, that he had been cast away by his parents, ignored by his community, and even after his healing, still barred from worshiping God. It seems that his life was a life that had been punctuated by periods you are a sinner, period. You are not welcome, period. You are not loved, period. But what we do and learn from Jesus that day is that where others had placed a period, God in Jesus put a comma. Jesus repunctuates this man's reality. You are a sinner, comma, but so is everyone else, and I have forgiven you. You were not welcome, comma, but I have come and have prepared a place just for you. You were not loved, comma, but God so loved you that he sent me. You are blind, comma, but in faith you see what others refuse to know. The light has come. The great irony of the story is that when you get all the way to the end of chapter 9, Jesus says the blind man truly sees, while the perfectly religious Pharisees are the ones who are actually blind. Where others put a period, God has placed a comma. 
which is the very miracle that we come to celebrate around this table this morning. As we gather around this meal, we come to remember that Jesus made a place for everyone to eat with him. To remember that he came to forgive all of our sins. To remember that he was betrayed, arrested, tried, and executed. We come to remember that he died, period. Wait, no. He died, comma. And on the third day, rose again. What a miracle. What a miracle. Amen.